Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Split Tooth Podcast Network. My name is Craig Wright. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Split Tooth Media, and we are launching our first podcast today. Yay! Yay! I'm being joined by Nick Miller. Nick, say hello. Hi, I'm Nick Miller. I'm a culture writer for Split Tooth Media. Attaboy. And Sarah Rosa Davies are, well, I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm Sarah Rosa Davies, and I'm the new podcast editor for Split Tooth Media. So Split Picks is a show where we pick a band every week or a movie or whatever, just something, and we pick two albums normally and put them head to head. Usually we try to pick albums that are not their most famous or something just to give people a, you know, a better understanding of a band that we know and appreciate. And at the end, we decide which album reigns supreme after breaking them down. So today... We're starting with The Replacements, who is my personal favorite band. Nick, I know you're fond of them, and Sarah, so you are as well. Quite fond. I'm from Minnesota, so I have to be fond of them. Today, we're going to be comparing their debut album, 1981's Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash, and it's going head-to-head with Tim, which is their 1985 major label debut. You guys ready to get going? I'm really excited, yeah. Hell yeah. Let's do it. So to start out, I'd like to hear how each of you got into Sorry Ma. The funny thing is, is uh, Sorry Ma was one of the first replacements albums I actually listened to. I think when you gave me their stuff, Craig, I think you gave me pretty much all of the Twin Tone stuff first. That's funny, because I remember this was like the last of the first six albums I got into. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think the the ones I listened to the most were Stink and uh, Sorry Ma. And so I would just listen to those a ton. And I always thought like, yeah, it's a fun like punk band, you know, kind of silly, a little goofy, occasionally serious. As you and I went off to college uh, and I started listening to them more, I got more into the deeper and heavier stuff, like Let It Be and Tim and all that stuff. I think Sorry Ma, for me at least, was an album that I returned to later. I got into Tim and Let It Be and Hootenanny and all those different albums before Sorry Ma, and then was like, this is where they came from. It was kind of an interesting backwards way of listening to them. Yeah. What about you, Craig? Let It Be was definitely the first one I heard, and it was this weird thing where I remember my brother played it for me, and it clicked pretty much immediately with him, but I remember saying, like, yeah, it's it's fine. Like, it's it's okay. And then, like, two months later, we had all of their albums, and I'd memorized pretty much every song. And, yeah, I don't know why, but I have a memory of cleaning my mom's trunk for the first time, like, I actually sat down to listen to Sorry Ma. There's something about just vacuuming my mom's car that the album finally clicked. So, to start off our discussion on sorry ma i'd like to hear what some of your favorite songs are nick it's hard to pick one favorite song so i'm I'm glad you said multiple uh i really like taking a ride obviously we've talked about that one it's just that's just the perfect way to start an album that's just the ultimate opener um i really really like customer it's kind of it's a goofier song but i've always had a really 
strong affinity for that one. I don't know. I don't have like a personal story with it or anything. I just really like that song. I think it's a really. You think it's goofy? Well, you know, kind of, kind of silly. You know, like upon first listen. Okay. Yeah. There's so much going on in that song. Cause... Oh yeah, totally. But. You know, when I first listened to it, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. He's just, like, trying to hang around this girl. Ah, you know, I thought it was kind of just, like, a lighthearted song. I wasn't thinking much about it, you know, and I was in high school. Yeah, but you that's know? a great one, though, because, I mean, it just starts with tapes rolling from the studio, and then Westerberg just jumps into the, okay, I'm in love with the girls, and just runs with it. Then it just hits you with the guitars, though. And, yeah, like, it does seem so stupid at first, like, uh, where are the Twinkies? what's on sale but then you realize he's just so desperately trying to spend as many seconds around this woman behind the counter as he can without being awkward but it's like it's just because he doesn't have the guts to talk to her and it's that's the replacements in a nutshell at this point you know it's just got the attitude and it, it just hints at so many levels that you can't really write intentionally you know <laughs> yeah and that's something the studio talkback stuff is something i love about it i love it when albums have that kind of fourth wall breaky kind of stuff of just like oh yeah they're in a in a room together making something and uh i think it really like that that stuff really kind of points to their personalities as musicians and as artists and so yeah, when he says "okay" in that kind of stir- <laughs> prototypical like Minnesota accent, yeah. it's just like that tells you a lot. They're just dudes making music in a basement, you know. And uh, yeah, I, and I mean, who hasn't been there when they want to spend as much time around a person as possible without making it obvious? Yeah, so. without without like coming off as creepy yeah just trying or like showing your emotions yeah, yeah. And trying to play it cool trying to hide while also trying to catch their eye exactly and... it's it's that weird balancing act of being young and that eventually you kind of just grow out of or maybe you don't but that's how their whole career was too though i mean anyone who's seen this band well maybe not anyone but a good majority of people who have seen this band have seen them and just said like oh my god what was that like that was amazing and then you know there are some other more famous shows where they say oh my god what was that i was gonna say <laughs> that that could go either way yeah i mean they were kicked off of tom petty's tour like they could have become this big band back when it still meant something to be a huge band and they just never did i mean if if you've read trouble boys by bob Mayer, it's an incredible book i mean it's absurdly well written just so well researched but he does not hide the fact that these guys shot themselves in the foot all the time i mean the part that stuck out to me most was when they started getting their you know per diem pay on i think it was the tim tour and westerberg which was just literally lighted on fire in the van it's like why are you doing this like this band is so frustrating at times because you just want to shake them and just be like, you can be so much more than what you are now. But like the music is still insanely just detailed and on in every aspect. And I was going to say too, this is their first album. Like it's so, it's so amazing to me that they're so developed on their first album. And then like later on is kind of this like, 
putting money on fire and stuff. There's something to this album that just makes you go, wow. Yeah, I mean, Peter Jesperson, he owned a record store. Paul Westerberg gave him a demo and he just said, I need to record you guys. I mean, they were teenagers. They were kids. And and like every 12-year-old wishes they were half as cool as Tommy Stinson was at that age. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen, though. Like, but. <laughs> like how many... How many 12-year-olds have been on a stellar punk album at age 12? Let me ask you a better question. How many of your friends could play like three chords on guitar at age 12 and you were like, wow. That's true. That's true. But still, like he was in a touring band. Yeah. And that's really something else. What are some tracks on the album that specifically have meaning to you guys? I remember the first one that stood out in this album for me was I Hate Music. Because here's this band that has, you know, an 18 song album and they're saying, I hate music. It's got too many notes. <laughs> like, you've already written 18 songs that are on this album and okay. But I just remember thinking it was so funny. Like, yeah, music is hard. Like, if you've tried to learn guitar, like, it's pretty hard. And that's punk rock, though. Like, okay, I know three notes. Here's a song, you know, and that's. That's the best punk stuff, though. It's you take what you have and you make the best of it. I'm in Trouble is another standout. I mean, it was their first single and it's backed with If Only You Were Lonely, which is Paul Westerberg writing a Hank Williams song. And I mean, if that doesn't hint at the duality of the band right off the bat, like, I don't know what does. Just the way Paul Westerberg is able to take such seemingly meaningless things and turn them into just amazing songs like hanging downtown bus stop record store pimps and whores like (laughs) he's just looking around at a bus stop making a song out of it and that is the most fascinating songwriting to me where you can just take life and turn it into something else because it's not just like i have a you know, this big epic thing that I created. Like, yeah, that can be very interesting. But when you're able to just look at, you know, a song called Don't Ask Why, you know, More Cigarettes, Shiftless One Idle. I mean, all these things are just so simple, but no one really writes it well. For me, I think that goes back to their Midwestern ethos, this everyday growing up in cold, snowy Minneapolis when there's kind of the the landscape is very barren, it goes back to like noticing the little moments in life and creating something really beautiful and really meaningful out of them. So I've heard the thing in the Midwest is, you know, summer you do whatever, but in the winter it just snows. So you start a band. Yeah. Or you cross country (laughs) ski if you're my parents. But yeah, I think I always felt more creative in the winter. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, shiftless when idle is the song that does it for me. Like, that's the one like lyrics like they told me it's best to wait my turn i can't wait forever i can't wait that long i'm just shiftless when i'm idle i want to play this it's like that's just how i felt when i was in high school you know people just constantly feeling like i was being told how to be and being told what's important or what should be important to me it's like well none of this is important to me i don't care about any of this I just want to do what I want to do. You know, I just want to play this. I want to do this. I want to hang with my friends. And, like, none of this other stuff 
has any effect on me right now. And I think that just hit me like right in the right in the right spot at that scratch that perfect itch. Yeah. And in that moment. And like it's hard to really put into words why these songs are so good because I mean how many bands have written about careless? Uh, yeah, he just sprints out of the gates with just irresponsibility is my closest friend, which that's the replacements in a nutshell there too. Uh, <laughs> uh, just forget my duties, obligations. Don't tell me about the city ordinance. Don't tell me that we're insubordinate. Friends tomorrow, money to borrow. Like that covers so much ground and that's like 15 seconds. I mean, he just packs so many layers in that sometimes take years to figure out like oh that is good i mean he's a true poet he's a true songwriter in every facet of the word yeah and the punk thing was just kind of a a way of dressing it up initially i think and kind of helped him get that foot in the door so he could kind of move into the hank williamsy kind of stuff as well that kind of you know he did the punk stuff to satisfy the scene at that time and then his, I f- it felt like his own personal kind of pet projects were doing the more country type songs and more singer songwriter type stuff. To, or, you know, to an extent. To an extent, yeah. I, w- I was going to say, for me at least, hearing that punk stuff is still just as good in my mind oh, as. Yeah, I'm not saying it's yeah. subpar or inferior in any way. I think the punk stuff was necessary when they started because he, he was a janitor in the governor's office. And he was, a lot of these first songs I've heard were written on Governor's stationery. Because he'd just be like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And he'd just write songs. And I think he just had that thing shift in his brain that just said, if I don't do this now, it's not going to happen. I feel like the more desperate he is, the better the writing is, which, I mean, that's a lot of people you could argue that. But... You can kind of tell when he's got that smirk on his face in songs because they're always a little more like, oh, that's a clever line. But when he's really just like looking at himself like, damn. Like, <laughs> you know, I think the easiest example is probably Unsatisfied. Yeah, I mean, what can be said about that song? On the note of Paul Westerberg's songwriting, are there any songs on this album that don't live up to that expectation you guys have of him? Or of the replacements in general, I might add? I think Otto's the weakest, but I'm not going to say it's bad. I mean, it's just kind of a, like I said, you can tell you kind of like, oh, here's here's a song. You know, it's not the best, but it's... I feel the same way about uh, Kick Your Door Down. Yeah. It, it's just, it's not a bad song, mm-hmm. um, but I just kind of, it just kind of feels like a rock song. Mm-hmm. You know, just keep on knocking. It's like, yeah, all right. You know, the other major thing aside from Westbrook songwriting is just how good this band is. I mean, they were called Dog Breath before Paul Westbrook joined, and it was Bob Stinson, his kid brother Tommy Stinson, Christopher Mars on drums, and Westbrook heard these guys, and he'd like hide in the bush outside their house. I remember hearing that story and being like, oh, that sounds like the Midwest. (laughs) And yeah, he just figured like, these are the guys, like this is going to be the band. And you know, some other stuff happened and Bob Stinson like you know it's him when he's playing because no one is that wild I mean his guitar playing is as unhinged as his wardrobe like 
you never know what you're going to get, but it's always him. All I have to say is if you're going to try to learn replacement songs and you want to learn Bob's parts, good luck. <laughs> you know, like best of luck to you because it is not easy if it's if it's even possible. Like sometimes, like as sometimes the weird ways he plays and sometimes the weird like almost like I think I can't remember who said this, but it was like the weird lack of tuning in his guitar. I can't remember who said it, but somebody said that in an interview and it's like, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, it's almost, it's like they made like detuned guitars sound incredible. Yeah. It's just astonishing how they did that. Yeah. And then Chris Mars, I mean, I think he's a very underrated drummer because he's not a guy who's going to blow you away, but you know, he's just got that power and he just drives all of the songs in good yeah yeah like in taking a ride like he does this weird little like semi drum roll and the dun 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 dun. like he does this weird thing and i'm always like i'm listening to it i'm trying to like air drum along to it when i'm alone and i'm just like how does he do that like it's so fast but it's so it ends so abruptly too it's really well i think what's throwing you off is you just expect you know the crash symbols like yeah crash 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 but instead he just accents the snare pattern so it gets this word like dun 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 dun, and then he hits the crash symbol yeah it's like delayed satisfaction exactly yeah Yeah. it's just it's yeah he is something else and And i think he's the most underappreciated member of the band too in my mind at least absolutely yeah i mean paul and tommy are the two that everyone talks about mainly because they're still the two that actually the most recent ones to tour as the replacements. I mean, Christopher Mars decided not to join them when they did the Back by Unpopular Demand tour. I think he'd had enough of, uh, we'll call it the shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he found his calling elsewhere. Yeah, he's an incredible painter, yeah. too. And so, I, you know, I can't blame him. Yeah. If he wants, to, you know, he's following a, a path that makes him happy. And what's more punk rock than that? Johnny's Gonna Die is another song that always stands out to me on this album because... Right around this time, I remember we got Bad Religions, How Could Hell Be Any Worse? And I just remember listening to it and thinking, like, this is a lot of loud, fast music. Like, there's no break. And I think that's just how a lot of punk bands think. Like, it's just got to be the loud, fast, and there's no dynamics. But then you you get to Johnny's Gonna Die right after I Hate Music, and it's just this total departure from everything else on the album. And it... You know, it's got this cool little just groove between the bass and the drums, Bob doing these little fills throughout. And it's about seeing Johnny Thunders, who was one of Paul Westberg's heroes, and I think most of the bands, and just realizing after seeing him in concert, like, this guy's going to die if he keeps up his way of life. And how did they react to that? They followed his lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think what you were saying about bad religion it just kind of that really points to what separates the really really well respected and beloved punk bands or at least a good portion of them from the other punk bands is diversity of songs like they knew when to mix it up and like even bands that like are known for like their fast aggressive stuff they still have like some diversity mixed in there too like minor threat has uh, songs like In My Eyes, which kind of has the more quiet parts and then into the big banging, you know, chorus and the really fast parts. And, you know, they know 
when to throw that different kind of song in there because they know when the listener is going to get bored. Let me ask you this. Is there a punk band that aged better than the replacements musically? Because you go from Rattlesnake to Sadly Beautiful. I, I can't think of one. Maybe, maybe The Clash, but that's a stretch. I could see that, but I don't think The Clash's later stuff is great. No. I've still never listened to Cut the Crap because I'm afraid to. Don't, um, <laughs> don't listen to that album. You know, I always talk about the first six albums are like the ones I began with. I'd heard so many people just say, don't bother with uh, Don't Tell a Soul or I'll Shook Down. They're wrong. So I waited until like my sophomore year of college to start really diving into those two. And it just made me appreciate them so much more. And they were already my favorite band. All Shook Down isn't their greatest album, but it's like their last one. They've really aged gracefully and have come into their own sound in such an amazing way that I don't think a lot of bands can replicate as smoothly. What do you mean come into their own sound, though? Because I feel like they arrived. I with... think they arrived, but they I think they expanded what their sound meant. Like a lot of the songs on Sorry Ma are these fast kind of hard guitar songs, but then also there are a couple slower ones. And I think Paul Westerberg at least took some time. I was looking at the iTunes genres. I was really interested in seeing what they were labeled as because I heard someone, I forget what writer, call the replacements the first alternative or like indie band and i don't necessarily agree with that this album is filed under power trash under power trash but then the rest of them are like punk or alternative and i just think it's interesting i think they have always had the same ethos but they came into their sound in a different way in each album like their their sound is really expansive in my mind it's not just power trash and they were well aware of where they were as a band because i mean on treatment bound you know, they, Westbrook has the line, yesterday's trash, too bored to thrash. That was him just disowning stink. And so it's like they'd already moved on at that point. So we like to talk about how strong of an intro Taking a Ride is, but nobody really talks about, or like it's too often that conversation kind of drifts off into its own thing and we never really get to the end of the album with Shut Up and Raised in the City. Tell me about those songs. Well, I think part of the reason why the end isn't discussed as much is because it is a long album. There's a lot of songs. And like, if you're like me, you get through like the first four and you're just like, Oh my God. And then this happens. And then this happens. And you just get kind of exhausted. Like, God, it's a lot of great stuff being thrown at you at once. <laughs> it's a lot to process. Yeah, exactly. If there's a song to bookend this album with, it's very much raising the city because it, you know, it starts taking a ride. You get kind of a little, midwestern journey throughout you know but right before that is shut up which is i think westerberg and trouble boys calls it their weapon song because when crowds would turn on them that's what they'd play and it would either <laughs> win the audience over or alienate them entirely and to have a song like that in your arsenal and to know that you have a song that's capable of that like you got to know how good your stuff is like he's very aware of what his songs do walking the walk and talking the talk yeah it's you know it's it's knowing it's knowing that you guys are tough and knowing that your music your music can stand with or without the audience any final thoughts on sorry ma 
it's the replacements album I got to the latest, but I think I've started to appreciate it more and more recently. So I think it's it's grown on me a lot. I got into their softer stuff with quote air quotes before and then sorry ma took a little bit for me to adjust to but once i found that sweet spot those places i liked in the album it it felt great to me i think uh it was the first stuff i listened to but it was the last stuff that i appreciated and i'm really happy that i appreciate it now and it's oh and i think it's honestly it's even better with the context of their later stuff knowing that where they started was such a fast and aggressive place and where they went was somewhere still kind of rooted in that, but still, you know, turned into its own thing, I think makes the going back even more fun. Yeah. Same for me. I mean, this, these are the last one or this instinct were the last two I really fully latched onto, but then they were the two I treasured the most for a good year. And, you know, this was, I always joke that, you know, I was trying to learn how to play bass. It's like, I started with the Ramones, went to the Clash, and then I stopped at the Replacements because I couldn't play it. But yeah, these were the last ones I fully fell in love with. And yeah, it hit hard when I did. And I think this band does just keep improving. But that's not an insult to their earliest records by any stretch of the imagination. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back to talk about Tim. Sorry, Mom forgot to take out the trash. Came out in 1981, and Tim came out in 1985. How did the replacements get there? They put out Stink, which is just like a collection of eight just straight up punk tracks. And then they put out Hootenanny, which is arguably their most diverse collection of songs, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I, th- I think the two biggest songs from that, those two album stretches are on Stink. I'm going to say it's Go. That was really where, you know, it's this hardcore album. And then, oh, this isn't a hardcore song. It's got a lot more to it um and then color me impressed on hootenanny which if you're a band that has that in your repertoire like you've done a good job but then they had let it be in 1984 um i've said it already that's my personal all-time favorite album yeah i mean there's really not much that i can say about let it be that hasn't already been said a million times before but that's its power i mean it's an album that people just fall in love with and it's just intoxicating yeah there's just something about it there's no other band that could go from i will dare and then on the same record have gary's got a boner a kiss cover and unsatisfied and then answering machine i was gonna say (laughs) personal favorite answering machine that's that one i love that one a lot something that's always stuck out to me about let it be is just like how genuine every emotion whether it's silly or serious or longing or whatever how every how genuine every emotion feels on that album yeah they really commit to every single facet absolutely so then they have the monumental task of following let it be i mean in my mind let it be is 
the greatest rock record ever made. I mean, it has everything you want in a rock record. It has... Oh, and also we got through that without even mentioning uh, Androgynous and Senior Video. And 16 Blue. (laughs) Yeah. Every song. (laughs) Every song on that album. It's a perfect record. Yeah. Okay, then they get to 1985 and they have to follow it up. They sign to Sire. It's their first major label release. And I've said this, I think I've told you this, Nick, before. Let It Be is my personal favorite, but there are days when I think, and I always say it like this, Tim might be better. I think I have to agree. Like on any given day, I would rather listen to Let It Be, but I do think that Tim is a better album. I think the songwriting Mm. is... I don't know about better full album. You really don't? You don't think so? No, I think Tim has speed bumps. Yeah. But I think it also has some of the greatest songs ever written. Yeah. I mean, before we got to this part, we were discussing, like, which songs do we need to talk about? We chose Like eight half of, them. of the album. Yeah. It was eight. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a very significant portion of the album. But honestly, I think what makes Tim so great is, yeah, it has speed bumps, but the other, but the great moments on that album are so great that I almost immediately forget about the speed bumps. Yeah, the peaks are greater than the valleys. Like, Left of the Dial and Waitress in the Sky and Bastards of Young. Like, all these songs that are such amazing, compact thoughts. And then you have a couple here and there that are like, eh. But they're not, they're not, they're eh in the context of replacement songs, which are better than a lot of other bands' best songs. I think if any other band or any other album were to hit a speed bump, it would be hard for that band to come back from it on that album it would be hard for the listener to go all right well i'll just listen to the next song but the songs that come after the speed bumps are so strong like after like dose of thunder you get waitress in the sky which is such a fun song and so silly and then after that you get swinging party which is such a phenomenal song that you're you've already forgotten about dose of thunder right and lay it down clown is between you know, left of the dial and little mascara. That's yeah. forgivable. Yeah. Yeah. You, they're a band that thrives in peaks and valleys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that honestly, that's why I think Tim is better because it shows those sides of them. Wow. Okay. So Nick, you said, sorry, Ma, you couldn't pick a favorite. I'm putting you on the spot. What's the best song on Tim? Not your favorite. What's the best? I gotta, I gotta go with left of the dial. It just covers so much ground in such a short amount of time that like it covers this like reading about a band you're not mentioned you're and you have this like longing to be with or s- hear about someone and it hits all of these different points so efficiently and so perfectly i i, I just it's it's always my go-to on this album yeah i think it's about i forget who it was but it was a woman in another band and it's just you know read about your band you didn't mention my name um and then just hearing all these bands on the left of the dial, you know, these aren't the popular bands. We had a chance. We sounded drunk. We never made it on. Driving through to another state, a different station comes on. You know, it's just this never-ending cycle of bands that probably are not ever going to make it. And this is one of the best songwriters rock and roll has had saying, like, why don't we ever have a chance? 
I'm gonna go and say that Bastards of Young is my favorite song on the album because I want to talk a little bit about the SNL performance that we just watched. Because we're talking about, oh yeah, they never, you know, like these some of these bands have never had a chance and here the replacements are getting banned from SNL. I think you're both correct. I think there are days when Bastards of Young is the best on this album and days when Left the Dial is. I'm going to throw my oddball out there, Swing and Party, we'll come back to that later. Bastards of Young is a true anthem. I mean, it's just got everything you need in a song. Like, there's no wasted second in it. Same with Left the Dial. I mean, Left the Dial was my favorite song for years. It has since been surpassed by History Lesson Part 2 by the Minutemen. But yeah, Sarah, so you just mentioned their Saturday Night Live performance. Oh, man. <laughs> a beautiful disaster. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good term for the replacements. A beautiful disaster. Why, thank you. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, they were told not to swear. They play Bastards of Young. <laughs> they all traded clothes after the first song. Paul Westerberg yells the F word off mic to Bob Stinson before his solo. And it's just glorious they all fall down on the stage after bastards of young and that guitar sound is so enormous like you can just feel it on the cheapest speakers like that thing hurt if you were in the first row oh yeah and that's how loud they were every night i imagine they just had this raw power to them that is just it's that it's that lightning in a bottle that so many bands want but only a rare few get and they had it and but they didn't always harness it on in no no on stage no and that's why they're so interesting live i mean the thing like i say they're my favorite band like yes because i love legitimately love pretty much every song they have but they're my favorite band to read about because everyone has a story about this band. And it's amazing. Like, if you saw them at their peak, it's just like, I saw them at their peak. But if you saw them, it's like, oh, yeah, Bob Stinson was naked in a kiddie pool. Like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, like you said, like, and everybody who has seen them or heard of them or listened to them has an opinion. You know, everyone has got something to say about this band, whether it's positive or negative. And that's this mark of a great band or um, the mark of a memorable band. Yeah, exactly. Because you have a story to tell. Are there any songs we haven't touched on that stand out from this album as the peaks? I think Here Comes a Regular is another one. I mean, it's the first 12 string acoustic song they have. And. You know, this was Bob Stinson's last album with the band. And I, I've read, I don't know if it's true or not, but he apparently he, after he heard it for the first time, went up to Paul and just said, that's a good one. Because he was ready to quit the band or, you know, they forced him out in a horrible way. Um, but Lay It Down Clown is on the album because Bob needed another rocker because Paul was kind of shifting more towards the slower stuff, you know, the really intently written songs, and they just needed that, you know, Dose of Thunder, those type of songs to keep Bob there. Um, Bob is really one of the 
tragic figures in rock history. Um, it's just so sad seeing how that all went down. But his playing on this album is, it's less flashy, but man. Yeah. <laughs> He's something else, like in any context, really. He he just knows what to do. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, the way he was forced out of the band sucks. And, like, reading the book Trouble Boys and reading his history about his life is just, it hurts, man. Yeah. I mean, he, he spent some time in mental health care, and guitar was his release. I mean, it's it doesn't feel like a guy just like, I know some notes. Like this is a guy who's just playing his soul. And that's really what the band did together. Cause they were not always a harmonious bunch. And when they were mad at each other, like, yeah, there were some, some moments. <laughs> Real ugly. Yeah. Man. And it's a, and it's the side of the replacements that, that really, I think is what really draws a lot of people in is seeing this side of them, seeing the ugly stuff and the, the tough stuff with the silly stuff and the fun stuff and the goofy stuff. It's just, it, it makes you realize like, Oh, these guys are real and they're, they're being honest. They were so real about every aspect of like being in a band, but also being human. They, they were real about the goofy stuff. They were real about the really sad, really crappy stuff in life and were poetic through it all in my mind. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, Bob Mayer did an amazing job of humanizing Bob Stinson in Trouble Boys because he's, you know, it's, I've written a few things about the replacements and it's so easy just to try and cast Bob as like, oh, you know, the goofy guy who does all these things. But I mean, I was holding back tears in the intro to that book because it opens at Bob Stinson's funeral. And these girls come up to Paul Westerberg and just say, you know, he loved you, right? It's like, oh, wow. That's where this book is going. Like, <laughs> and it, it wouldn't be talking about the replacements without talking about Bob. But that's another thing that makes this band great is each member is irreplaceable. I mean, Josh Freese is and Dave Minahan have done a great job touring with them. But I mean, no one's gonna say like, oh yeah, that's the yeah, you know, the four originals. Like it's very much like they are replacement replacements. But there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. But it's man, I would kill to see the original four of this band. Have you seen this band? I, I caught them three times on their last. Um, the first time was in actually your hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota at Midway Stadium. That was a day that just felt magic. I mean, my brother and I flew out there because we made a joke like, oh yeah, if the replacements ever play in Minneapolis, we're going to go, right? And then it happened. It was like, oh, and the Hold Steady's opening we can't miss that so we went but i mean we we got there so early my brother was his goal is always be the first person in line um, so we got there at noon and, but we were in line with all these people and we talked for hours with them like we're still you know in touch with a few of them but yeah i just remember before they played swing and party just everyone kind of looked around and we all just had that same look like this is 
really happening right now, right? And it's just like, songs aren't supposed to be this powerful. Like, there were multiple people tearing up. But yeah, there was just this feeling during Swing and Party, you know, if being afraid is a crime, we hang side by side. And everyone there just kind of had this feeling like the shock had worn off and it was like, we're actually watching this right now. And so many people there had seen them before, but this was a band I had dreamed about seeing, you know, even if it was just Paul Westerberg solo or Tommy Stinson solo. Like, I never thought even that would happen. I wasn't going to go to a Guns N' Roses show. Sorry, Tommy. (laughs) But it just felt like, this might sound weird, but like my musical childhood had been validated. Like, it was just right there in front of me, and it was everything I had wanted. It's the type of experience that can never be replicated. I saw them twice more on the Back by Unpopular Demand tour. I mean, seeing them play Portland in Portland was amazing, and they introduced us to the Young Fresh Fellows, which I am eternally grateful for. Scott McCoy has been a great friend to the site. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to interview Tommy Stinson when I was in college, and it just feels like there's nothing more this band could do for me. It's They've been there for the highs, they've gotten me through the lows, and I have made so many friends just because we love this band. They're a band that has literally changed my life. I don't think there's a greater compliment you can give to a band than that. Just one one song I want to sneak in, just just at the end, because we haven't talked about it yet, and I love this song to death, uh, is Little Mascara. Yes. Because it's another emotion that, it's, a, it's in the second person, you know, Paul Westerberg singing to somebody, and directly saying you and all you're losing and it's just like and it's something that he hits on this emotion of losing losing somebody close to you and losing like almost like potential even and he says all you ever wanted was someone to take care of you all you're ever losing a little mascara but it also has an interesting like little web of confusion in it because then there's that all you ever wanted was someone mommy's scared of yeah and so it's just got that tinge of rebellion in it still that's like one thing i admire about paul westerberg is he doesn't write straight up i love you love songs no all his love songs are just disguised in just incredible ways like i can't think is, is there a song where he says straight up i love you i customer I, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like really to her. Like no, it's just him no. like, I love you, love you. <laughs> but he never really addresses a person. Like there's Valentine. If you were a pill, I'd take a handful at my will. He's really good at not going into the cliche. Yeah. He's really good yeah. at, how do I say this? He's good at making love songs that are specific and not generalized. Kiss me on the bus. Yeah. Like. <laughs> he creates his own cliches. Which is great. Oh, like, yeah. how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, and then, yeah, we kind of see that, some of that stuff with his with his solo output in the 90s. Kind of, like, him kind of, like, falling into st- stuff he did in the 80s. Like, the soft stuff, even softer. Well, then there are a few bands that kind of took a few things from the replacements. and Cough, cough, goo-goo dolls, cough, cough. Green Day. Cough, cough. Nirvana. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a great story in Trouble Boys where Paul Westerberg and Kurt Cobain were in an elevator together at a hotel, and they both just stared straight at the wall. <laughs> That's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should start wrapping up the conversation. I think we've touched on so many different things about this band, whether it's their live performance or their love songs or God knows what, but... I want to hear, I think, I think I know the answers. I came in fully expecting to pick Sorry Ma. That album is, I've probably listened to it twice as many times. I think I've listened to songs on Tim more, but the songwriting on Tim is just too good. It can't be beat. It's attitude versus just fully arrived talent. Talent is pretty undeniable when it's at this high of a level. I love both albums to death, and if it's a desert island situation, like I would not be upset with either. But Tim, I think, is a stronger record because its peaks are just so much greater. Absolutely. I'm going to be honest. The minute you told me this was going to be the comparison, I already knew which one I was going to pick. Yeah. And like I woke up this morning, I listened to both of the albums, I knew which one I was going to pick even as I was listening to him. It's Tim. It's always been Tim, and it's always going to be Tim. I, this album hits so much harder for me. Tim is exceptional in every way. I'm going to have to agree with both of you. Tim, like you said, hits harder, and I think it, it has more of the songwriting on it that strikes a chord with me. Like the best Paul Westerberg replacement songwriting does, it really, it really strikes a chord with me. Even when I don't relate to it, it still hits something inside of me, deep, deep inside of me. Well, we have a unanimous decision today. Our split pick is Tim over Sorry Moth. You're out to take out the trash. If you'd like to hear more split picks, we're going to be coming back soon with episodes about Weezer, Arcade Fire, and the White Stripes. Follow us on Facebook at Split Tooth Media and Twitter, same name. Thank you for listening to the Split Tooth Podcast Network, and we'll be back with more episodes soon.